You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. So glad you decided to come to church this morning. Um, I believe God wants to challenge and bless you. Today, my name is Tony. I'm one of the pastors here at LifePoint. Um, you can bring the mic down just a little bit. It's pretty hot. Um, this morning, I want to share a message um, that has been on my heart this week on obedience as a weapon of warfare um, against the kingdom of darkness. Pastor Drew kicked off a series last week entitled Battle Lines. And he talked about prayer and prayer being this place of action and it's not a place of passivity. That did you know that we are in a war? We're in a, in a battle and not in, a, in a, a physical war like Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane when he took up the sword and, and cut off that, that man's ear. But we're in a, in a war with the accuser. We're with, in a war with the adversary of our souls, Satan. The Bible describes him as a prowling lion seeking to devour, that his plan for you, his plan for me, is to seek, kill, and to destroy but did you know that as followers of Jesus, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus and Jesus is your savior, that he has positioned you in a place of victory, positioned you in a place to win. That in actuality, Satan is not God's equal counterpart. Satan is a created being and he has been defeated and through the power of the Holy Spirit and what Jesus accomplished on the cross, you and I can have victory and live our lives in a place of victory. But gone are the days of fence sitting. I don't, I don't know if you realize and see in our country, in the Western church, the, those who are wanting to sit on the fence, the fence is disappearing. We're going to have to choose. Do we want to serve ourselves? Do we want to serve the world? Or do we want to serve Jesus? And it requires a complete surrender, not partiality. You see, obedience, um, which we're going to talk about this morning, this weapon of warfare against Satan, obedience is really the fruit of our faith. It's where the rubber meets the road. It's our beliefs in action. We can say till we're blue in the face. We can say all day long, this is what I believe, this is what I value, and it'll come out in our behavior. It'll come out in the things that we do. That's why we don't believe in behavior modification. We don't believe on changing a person from the outside in, but rather there's a transformation that takes place in the heart of a person, in the soul of a person. We're made new, and then because of that newness, that transformation that takes place in our heart, the things that we do, the things that we say change, our behaviors change. But obedience is the, the fruit of that. You know, I was just thinking, I know Alex, Pastor Alex and, and Katie, they love to run for some reason. And, you know, I could sit up here and I could be like, Tony, or guys, seriously, I love running. It is the best thing. Cardio is so important. It's important to get your heart rate above a certain level, I think, for 30 minutes a day. It's super important that we run. And then you could say, Tony, do you run? I'd be like, well, no, I don't run per se, but uh, it's really, really important. You could look at my life and say, okay, he could value running and say that it has benefit. But by looking at my life, you could say he does not value running. <laughs> he does not value cardio. And I'm not saying look at me, but like, look at how I live my life. Obedience is, is really the proof of what we, we truly believe. And it's such a beautiful weapon that God has given us to fight the enemy. 
Obedience to God is a declaration of war against the enemy because you become more fully aligned with his ways and the will of God and you come out of agreement with darkness. We say yes to him and by saying yes to him, we're saying no to darkness. This ring on my finger represents this covenant that I have with my wife and by saying yes to her, I said no to all the other women in the world, whether they wanted me to or not. I said no to them, right? But it says, this says yes to her. And by saying yes to her, I'm saying no to everything else. And so it is. We say yes to him and we come into alignment. And that means that we, every act of obedience is an act of faith that releases grace and power into your life, into your situation, into your family. We're in an offensive battle. I don't want you to misunderstand me this morning. Although the Bible says that we wrestle not with flesh and blood, we're, our battle is not with this world, it's not in politics, it's not um, against people, it's with flesh and blood, it's against the, the enemy of our soul, but we are in an offensive battle. The spirit of God, which raised Christ from the dead, lives inside of you. And I don't think we understand or take full advantage of what that really means for you and I. That the spirit of God lives inside of us. So that means everywhere we go, when there's darkness resides, the darkness is pushed back because the light is in us. The light is in us. We push forward and the the darkness pushes back. So as a believer, the only authority that the enemy will have in your life is what you give him. So we close all the doors and we get rid of all the handles for him to grab. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Screwtape Letters, says this. He says, be not deceived. Satan's cause is never more in jeopardy than when a human, no longer desiring but still intending to do God's will, looks around upon a universe in which every trace of God seems to have vanished and asks why he has been forsaken and yet still obeys. When everything in the world is saying, this is wrong, this is made up, this is fairy tales, you're silly for believing these things, it's foolishness. When the enemy's whispering all those things in your ear and yet you still obey, that is what he hates. And I, someone pointed out to me, and it, it's exactly right, I believe there's even a greater power in instant and immediate obedience. Without hesitation, without vacillating, this place of immediate obedience. So, our greatest, one of our greatest weapons against temptation and the attacks of the enemy is willful obedience, willful. God's not forcing us to follow him. He's not forcing us to love him. We are free beings, free to make choices. But he desires willful obedience. In James chapter four, I'm gonna kind of be all over in the Bible, hopefully not all over the place so you can track with me, but all over the Bible uh, this morning. So I don't have one specific scripture I'm gonna be preaching from. But in James chapter four, Verse four, James gives us this instruction. It says, but he, God, gives us more grace. That alone is very good news for us. God gives us more grace. Grace is the empowering agent for you to win, the empowering agent in your life to overcome. And God gives us more grace. That's why the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Disobedience to God is a, is, a, is a fruit of pride. It says that I know better, God. My way is, is better than your way, but he gives grace to the humble, and I need more grace in my life. So submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. 
Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Man, there's such seriousness in the scripture that this is not a game. This is not a game. The days of nominal Christianity are over, are over. The enemy, there's a battle for your soul. There's a battle for your family. There's a battle for this church and so on. There's a battle. And we need to be actively engaged in that battle. There's no place for passivity. So he says, submit yourselves then to God. It's one of the most safe and beautiful places that you can be is submission to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Willful obedience gives way to empowering grace. And he gives more, he gives grace and more grace and more grace when there's humble submission. So this morning I want to run after three things. So when we find ourselves under attack from the enemy, how we respond is so important. And responding in a, from a place of obedience is such a, a powerful weapon that we can use. And so how do we respond uh, how can we use obedience as a weapon with our, in our thoughts? How can we use obedience as a weapon in our time and our energy and our resources? And how can we use obedience as a weapon in our heart? Let's pray. Lord, we're just open to what you want to speak to us this morning. We just, right now, we do exactly what that scripture says. We submit ourselves to you. God, we need more grace. We need more grace. It's your favor upon our life, but it's also the empowering agent in our life to accomplish the things that you've called us to, to be faithful to the things that you've called us to steward. So Lord, we just submit ourselves. We, 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 we humble ourselves before your mighty hand this morning. We ask that you come and speak to us through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So when we find ourselves under attack from the enemy, how can we use Obedience is a weapon with our thought, in our thoughts, in our thought life. Well, Campbell Morgan says this. He says, the severest battles of a man's life are fought out in the secret and in his own individual soul. Temptation to evil in its varied forms come far more subtly to a man when he is alone than when he is with others. I begin my fight inside, in the secret recesses of my inner life, in the hall of imagination, in the chamber of the affections, there the fight must first be fought. I said this the week before last, that one of the most freeing things that I've learned in my life is that I have a choice over the things that I think about. I have a choice over the things that I think about. And the enemy wants you to think that you don't have a choice. You're just a victim to every thought, every whim that comes into your mind. But you have a choice. I have a choice. And victim, that if we take on a victim mentality, which is the way of our, uh, uh, of our day and age, is a very dangerous place. Because the victim mentality is a powerless place. It says, this is just the cards I was dealt. This is just the way that I am. This is the situation. There's nothing I'm ever going to do about it, so I'm just going to complain. And that's not to minimize injustices in the world. That's not to minimize your situation or difficult things that we face in our life. But you are not a victim. Nowhere in this scripture does it say you are a victim, but it says, it says that you are an overcomer. It says that you're more than a conqueror. It says that you're victorious. So that's what we align ourselves. So we need to be so careful what we put into our minds. 
We need to be so careful what we put, and we need to be ruthless with sin and root it out. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, Paul says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on those things. He gives us such clear instruction, instruction on the things that we should think about and allow to ruminate and marinate in our hearts. You know, this past year, every Saturday night, as I lay my head to the pillow, it's become now routine. I lay my head to the pillow and I just, I get this onslaught of attack of anxious thoughts. And I'm not normally a a person that struggles with anxiety, but every Saturday night, without fail, if there's church the next day, um, I just get attacked with anxious thoughts. And the most, I mean, just even outlandish things that you could think about to worry about. All of a sudden, these things just pop into my mind. And the first few times it happened, I was really thrown back by it and caught off guard. Like, what what is this going on? What's happening? But I've learned to step out in obedience to this word, Philippians 4. And what I do is I, I stop myself. Those thoughts come and I actually realize that the choice that I, I have is that I, I don't have to be anxious. I don't have, to, I don't have to, to give any credence to those words. And so I start thinking, I stop myself and I say, God, I know that you're good. I know that you're faithful. I know that you're worthy. Last night, this is what I did. The, the, the thoughts came and I stopped myself and I said, God, you're good. You're faithful. God, you're worthy. You did not give me a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and a sound mind. You focus on the things that are true. And it might be so dark, you can only think about one, you only know one thing that's true. <laughs> think about that thing. God's goodness. Jesus died. He was risen from the dead. He lives. He is alive. Think about the things that are noble, that are just, that are pure, that are lovely. So the question is, what are the things that are feeding your thoughts? And you have a choice to make about those things. What are the things that are feeding your thoughts? And a lot of times our our mind is going crazy because we're feeding all these things terrible things into our brains. You know, what music are you listening to? And this is not a place of legalism. Nowhere in the scripture are we telling you what you should and shouldn't listen to or watch. It's a matter of your own personal stewardship over your heart and your mind. What are you putting into your mind? You know, after I gave my heart to the Lord and I was trying really hard, I didn't want to go back to drinking and drugs. I didn't want to do those things anymore. I didn't want to party, and I realized about after about a year of serving the Lord, I couldn't listen to music, the old music that I listened to anymore. It wasn't feeding my soul. It wasn't purifying me. I couldn't listen to songs about drinking whiskey and partying anymore. What's the media, the news, and the social media that you're feeding into your life? Do you know all those platforms they profit off of fear. <laughs> and they feed off fear. 
The more fear we, and we buy into it and we're feeding into it. That's why anxiety is at epidemic proportions in our nation. They feed off fear. There's actual algorithms. <laughs> so you'll keep, keep going back for more. And it doesn't matter what brand you like. It doesn't matter what side you like. It's the same. So what are you putting into your mind? What are you putting into your heart? I, th- I always think January, February is a great time to go on a media fast. To do it for like a month and just see the difference. TV and movies, what, are you, what, what types of things are you watching? These are things to th- think about and consider. Allow Holy Spirit to search you and know you to point his finger at certain things. About 10 years ago, a friend of mine came to me and said he was struggling with an addiction to pornography. And to be honest, I, over the last 15 years of ministry, I've had hundreds of, of young men come to me with that issue. And I always know right away the ones that are, are gonna get free because they're the ones that are willing to do whatever it takes. They'll do whatever it takes. And so my friend, he came to me and he said, told me that he was struggling with this. And he said, every time I get on my computer, I can't, I can't not look at something that I'm, I know I'm not supposed to look at. And I said, well, what, what are you going to do about it? He said, I don't know. I have no idea. And I said, well, what would happen if you got rid of your computer? And he said, well, I, I can't get rid of my computer. My whole life's on my computer. That's where I do all my schoolwork. That's where my whole life is. I can't get rid of my computer. I said, oh, all right. Well, maybe it's just something to think about. And what I love about this friend is he did something which is really a lost art these days, which is he considered someone else's point of view. And, you know, Jesus said, Jesus said, if if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Can you still sin without eyes? Yes. He said, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Can you still sin without hands? Yes, you can. So he's not talking about these specific body parts. What he was talking about is the, how severe and how serious we need to take areas of sin to cut it off at the root. So his computer, a computer's not evil, but it can be used for evil. In the same way your car is not evil, but it can be used for evil. But he came back a few days later and said, I got rid of my computer. I said, well, what are you going to do about work and schoolwork and all these things? Like, I just, I'm going to use a computer lab. And I can tell you that 10 years now, he has been completely free from that addiction. And listen, it's not that, it's not like a dry drunk who just stops drinking but doesn't change anything else in their life. He was severe with with one of the biggest contributors to it, and then he sought out healthy things, and he got involved with a healthy community. He started getting in in his word and, and seeking the Lord. You have control over the things you think about. We need to take these things out at the root. So how do we respond to attacks with obedience in our time and our energy and our resources? You know, when the attacks of the enemy come, the enemy will tempt us to ease up, to just relax. Maybe you're taking this whole Jesus thing a little too serious. Or to make excuses for yourself. You know, I had a rough day. I'm not going to go to small group tonight. I'm just going to sit at home and watch Netflix for eight hours. You deserve it after all. 
He'll tempt you to give in to indifference, laziness, or passivity. But it is in the midst of a battle that we need to lean in and dig our heels in even deeper. And oftentimes, it's the things that are right in front of us that we need to be faithful to. I see it all the time where people start to struggle and, they, and then they, they fall off. They pull out themselves out of community. They stop coming to church. They stop coming to small group. They stop serving and giving. They stop doing all these things that promote health in your life. Yeah, I used to watch a lot of um, nature shows, and now I watch more about talking cartoon animals, but it's my kids. <clears throat> but I used to really like, that just really interested me. And you know, when lions are hunting a, a herd of like wildebeest or something like that, they sit and they, they watch. And then one starts to chase the herd, and what they look for is a young one, or a weak one, or an injured one. And then what they do is they seek to isolate it. And if they can isolate it, it's easy. But I saw this one, there was this Cape Buffalo, and this, they, they were chasing this herd, it was awesome. And they were chasing this herd, and, and they got this little young Cape Buffalo. And you're like, that's it for that little guy. And then out on camera comes this huge Cape Buffalo, just like Pumbaa and the Lion King. It was like, just destroyed that lion. That's the power of community. That's the power of community. That's why the Bible says, pity the man who, has, who falls down and has no one to pick them up. But oftentimes I see people falling off in that area of faithfulness to the things right in front of them. We do not respond according to circumstances, but we respond according to the nature of God. Did you know that God never grows tired? He never stops being faithful. He never stops being gracious and merciful. He never stops being generous. You know, in times of when I've, things have been financially tight in my life, I've purposed in my heart to give more. Because it, it proves, again, in those hours of crisis, this is who my faith is in. It's not in the treasures of this world. My faith is in you, Jesus, the provider of my life. We need to live this life as though nothing else matters but Jesus and the whole world is watching. Is this true? And it will bear out in our lives in the way that we live. Is this really true? Galatians 6 says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. And let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. He just described the human condition, which is we be, get tired of doing the right thing. We get tired of being the only one who, who, at work who works harder than everybody else, who has a good attitude. We get tired of being the, the only one in the house that puts toilet paper on the empty roll, right? We're holding the place together. But he says, don't go weary in doing good. I'm tired, I'm tired of sowing seed. I want to reap a harvest. I want to see a harvest. I tell you, there's no harvest without seed. Don't go weary. In, in time, you're going to reap a harvest. As a believer, your time, your energy, your resources are, are never spent. They're invested. And there's nothing more aggravating to the enemy than a believer who remains faithful to Jesus when things are most difficult.
you know, I'm the age now, I'm 37 years old, and I look back at my life growing up, and I've had the, the privilege of watching my dad be faithful uh, for my whole life. And he hasn't been perfect. He's not a perfect person. But I know Pastor Drew, my brother, and I have shared often about my father. But this is what I've watched. I've watched a man who, and when, I, when he was 37, his life was unraveling around him, out of his control. His wife was off the deep end. Alcoholism, depression, bringing embarrassment to our family on the news for stealing a cop car. Just craziness. I mean, you imagine you're this normal Christian family and all of a sudden your life is just unraveling all around you. What do you do? He shared with me years later at a difficult time in my life. He said, Tony, it was in those days where the enemy would tempt me just Stop going to church. Everybody's talking about you. They're talking about your wife. Everyone's going, it's really sad, isn't it? But he said, I resolved in my heart I was going to be faithful. He said, I was going to go to church every Sunday. I was going to hold my head up high. He said, I knew where I stood with the Lord. I was going to shake their hands. I was going to lift my hands in worship. I was going to give and I was going to serve. I was going to continue to sow those seeds of faithfulness. Those times passed, and we see, have seen the benefit of those seeds planted. But just because we go through one difficult time doesn't mean that that was our one hard thing that we have to go through, and now our life is going to be peachy. Maybe, maybe you might go through another hard time in your life. For him, it was watching his, his son fall out the deep end. Me, fall into drugs and alcohol and embarrass the family bail me out of jail, all these things. But it was in those places, in that time, again, he leaned into it. He leaned into his community, his, his family. He gathered people to pray for me. He was vulnerable. And I believe it was those seeds of faith that went into the ground that now is the reason I, I'm sta- even standing here today. Someone else will benefit from your faithfulness. Probably there's someone here this morning that's ready to throw in the towel. That's ready. He's just weary. I want you to hear me this morning. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't go weary in doing good. You're going to reap a harvest. Your time is coming. Your time is coming. Stay faithful. Stay faithful. Earlier in Galatians, Paul asked this question. He says, who are you living for? It's a question we all need to ask ourselves. Who are we living for? Are you living to please him? If you are, then don't grow weary in doing good. You're going to reap a harvest from it. Amen? And lastly, how do we respond in obedience in our heart, with our heart? Well, I believe the answer is going off of what Pastor said last week. It's in his presence. It's in that place of prayer and worship and thanksgiving before him. That secret place alone with him. David said in Psalm 27, it says, God, you said seek my face, so your face I will seek. His face represents his his spirit, or his presence. 
Lord, you said seek your presence, so that's what I'm going to do. And then we see it unfold in the rest of the psalm. He said, I would have lost hope if I hadn't been, if I hadn't remembered the goodness of God in the land of the living. So wait on the Lord and he will strengthen your heart. Wait on the Lord and he will strengthen your heart. Psalm 51.10 says, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Ecclesiastes 9.8 says, let your garments always be white and let your head lack no oil. It's in his presence where he purifies our heart. That we could be like white as snow. And Ecclesiastes 9, it says, the oil represents God's spirit, his presence upon your life. You spend time with him, you're going to smell like him, you're going to look like him, he's going to be all over you. His presence is going to be on you, it's going to rest on you. Samuel Chadwick says this, the one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, and prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, he mocks at our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. He trembles when we pray. The the, the enemy is the great accuser. He accuses God to man and man to God. What happens is he comes, he slithers like a, and he's a thief, and he comes, and what he, he does is he bites you. And then he says, how could God let that happen to you? Can you believe that? How could a good God let something like that happen to you? And then you say, yeah. And then he goes to God and says, see, God, I told you, they don't love you. They don't really believe. Only when things are good. He's a great accuser. That's why worship and thanksgiving are such powerful weapons. If the enemy can keep you out of that place of giving thanks to God, giving praise to God, to worshiping him, his lies that he whispers in your ear will seem more true than the actual truth. But when we align ourselves with truth, that's why the Bible says that the truth will set you free. But this place of Worship and thanksgiving are such powerful weapons. It takes us quickly from darkness and despair to hope, to hope and light. And it confounds and frustrates the enemy. It doesn't make any sense to him. He hates it. He hates it. So if he hates it, we should do it some more. But we've got to keep our heart clean, our, our heart pure. So when people come against you, Jesus says in Matthew 5, you got to bless those who curse you, love those who hate you. Have you ever prayed for someone that you don't like, somebody that's lying about you, that's wronged you? It's hard. It's easy to love. It's easy to love. Uh, it's easy to love Tanya. She's really awesome. She's super nice. But there are some people that are not easy to love, right? None of you here. When we begin to worry and doubt God's faithfulness, we start thanking him for what he's done and who he is. When you feel disappointed or hurt, you do what David says in Psalm 62. He says, pour out your heart before him. Trust him, for he's a refuge. And it's in that place, on your face before the Lord, 
that he strengthens your heart, he purifies you, and his presence comes upon you in a mighty way, that when you leave that place, the power of presence is on you. That's what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 6. If you want to be used in the public, if you want to be used out in the world, get alone with him in the secret place. Go in your room and close the door, and there the Father will reward you. And everyone will know. Everyone will see it. Worship team, you can come. And it's not usually until we're on the other side of the battle that we look back and we think, man, how did we get through those times? How did we get through it? And then you, you, were, you can see the hand of God on your life. You can see the faithfulness of God. You can see how God carried you through at times, how God pushed you through at times, how he protected and provided for you. You know, we, we sometimes want God to just rescue us from every situation, but God wants God wants to take you through through it a lot of times and strengthen you and equip you for greater things. You know, I have a, a close family friend of ours who this past season of his life has just been the most difficult season that he's ever faced. A year and a half ago, his son, um, out of nowhere, took his life. Struggled with alcoholism and one night decided that was it. And suicidal, suicide is... is especially heinous just because, it, I mean, it sends shockwaves through a family, through a people because you're trying to make sense of something so senseless, so selfish. And then everybody wonders, is there something else I could have done? So their family is reeling and grieve, trying to grieve and deal with the situation. And then a few months later, he receives notice that he's being sued for half a million dollars. being accused of lies that he's been unethical or these different business things with his his business. All of them are untrue. I saw him this summer and I was asking him how he was doing and he, you know, he said just a simple phrase. He said, oh, it's been really hard, but you know what? God's been faithful. And I, I hear people say that all the time and I believe it's true and I believe people mean it, but there's something that when somebody says it, he says he's faithful, and I can, you can hear it come from the depths of who he is. You can, hear him, you can hear him saying it from like the depth of experience of God's faithfulness in his life. God's been faithful to me. He said, I keep my heart clean, and I keep moving forward. And that might seem oversimplified to you. That might seem trite. But that's what's been keeping him going this whole time. And much of it is in the unseen. So his daughter was talking to us over Christmas and she shared when she was back home. She was up late one night and she heard a noise upstairs. And so she went upstairs to investigate and she heard the noise coming from her dad's office. And late, it was late. She said she put her ear up to the door and she could hear him in there just worshiping Jesus. Just praising God, thanking God for his goodness, that no one is around. And when she told me that it was that that was the moment it was clear to me, that's how you get through. That's how you get through on your face for Jesus. You submit yourself to him. You resist the devil and the devil will flee. It's in that place 
that he strengthens, God strengthens your heart. He's not going to forget you. He's not going to pass you by. He's going to give you what you need. Amen? Would you stand? I want to pray for you. Before we do that, I want to just make an appeal. Anytime we gather in a room like this, this many people, there's a good chance that somebody here needs to give their life to Jesus. So in a moment, I'm going to ask you to respond, and I'm going to ask you to respond by lifting your hands, and I'm not going to ask you to do anything weird, or I'm not going to call you out or embarrass you. I just want to know who I'm praying for. So if you're here this morning, and you need to give your life to Jesus, or maybe you or maybe you've had a relationship with him, but it's grown cold and stagnant, and you need to get your life right with him today. If that's you, would you would you put a hand up? I want to pray for you. Awesome, thank you. If you raise your hand, or even if you didn't and you needed to, would you just agree with me as I pray for you? Just say a prayer like this in your own heart. God, I I just recognize my need for you today, that I'm far from you. I'm far from you. So right now, I just give my life to you. Everything that I am, I give it to you. And I stop pursuing the things of this world, and now I start pursuing you. God, I repent and turn from any sin in my life and I turn to follow you wholeheartedly. I thank you for your blood that's been poured out for my sin. I pray that it would just wash me in Jesus' name and I pray, Holy Spirit, you just come and live and reside. Come to overflow right now in Jesus' name. Amen. I just wanna pray over you on a prayer, a prayer of blessing. And actually during worship, I saw a picture, and I believe this is for someone here this morning. I saw a picture of somebody opening a briefcase. They took this briefcase out, put it on the table. They opened that briefcase, and the briefcase was empty. And that person was just filled with despair. And I asked the Lord what it meant, and I feel like there's someone specifically, you're, 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 you're in a specific situation at work or there's some sort of project that you need to have the solution and the answer for and you just, you don't. You just don't. And what God is saying this morning is that you're gonna find that answer. He's gonna give you that answer one day in a, in a place of prayer where you're just seeking him. The, the answer is just gonna drop into your mind. So, Lord, we just agree with that. Whoever that is, I pray in Jesus' name, they would step out in obedience to that word. They would seek you, and they would just seek you, and through that seeking, the byproduct would just become that answer in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for my friends here this morning. I pray that you you bless them in every area of their life, and I pray in Jesus' name they would be a people of immediate, radical obedience. When the enemy comes with his lies and accusations, I pray that the response would be obedience to your ways, uh, obedience to your principles in Jesus' name, obedience to the things that you've spoken to them and that you're speaking now. 
And I pray there'd be no hesitation, no waffling in the mighty name of Jesus. And we just call off, Lord, any plan of the enemy, any snare that the enemy has set in Jesus' mighty name will not prosper. It will not prosper. I plead the blood of Jesus over my friends. And I pray you just strengthen us, God. I thank you that you've chosen us. You've chosen us. And you chose your church to be the vehicle in which your gospel is spread on this earth. So, Lord, again today we say yes to you. We say yes to you, Jesus. We say yes to you. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.